1: L.A. Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! <laughs> wins the national championship for Notre Dame! Plus fighting Irish hockey.
2: They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame
1: darren pritchett
2: well good to talk to you once again hope you had a terrific weekend welcome back to the program as we start a brand new week on 960 am wsbt a live stream available at wsbtradio.com and on the free wsbt radio app. Also, we have a live video stream rolling right now on the Twitch app, which is a free download. Just search Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Nine minutes after five o'clock on this Monday. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope my voice is sounding a little stronger today than last week when it was awfully rough. Very thankful there were some fill-ins to call Notre Dame Hockey Friday and Saturday. I probably would not have a voice at this particular time, but plan on being back in the booth this Friday and Sunday as the Irish will have their home openers in the regular season against Northern Michigan. But for Notre Dame football, it's now a three-game winning streak since losing to Marshall at Notre Dame Stadium. The Fighting Irish defeated then 16th-ranked BYU 28-20 in Las Vegas Saturday night. So what do we take away from the win? Are we more excited about this team now than we were going into that particular ball game? I'll offer my thoughts on the win over the next two hours here on WSBT Radio. 7 o'clock tonight, we have Cayman Corner, 7.30, Westwood One's coverage of the National Football League. A little Monday night football tonight in the AFC West. The Las Vegas Raiders, they're going to be visiting the Kansas City Chiefs, and that particular game will be front and center. And are we going to Sizzler's sports wagering segment at the end of the program here on WSBT Radio. So, what's coming up at 5:30? Tyler Horka, the Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated, and my co-host for Game Day Sports Beat on Saturdays will join me to offer his thoughts on the Irish win in Las Vegas. Also coming up on the program, a stunning statistic about Notre Dame's next opponent. Stanford. In the 6 o'clock hour, I'll hand out game balls from the Irish's win over BYU. What to take away from the Notre Dame defense? A lot of yes-sir moments, then a lot of you-got-to-be-kidding-me moments in that game against BYU. Twitter question of the day is coming up in just a little bit. And also in the 6 o'clock hour, we'll go back to some of my Friday predictions did this game pan out the way I laid it out on Friday? We'll review those thoughts coming up in the six o'clock hour with that sports wagering segment to wrap up the program here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
1: The first pitch, uh, the first pitch of the night, and we are ready for the first pitch of- into the wind in his first offering, just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed.
0: I had
2: to read something I got on a Twitter direct message before I started this segment. It kind of caught me off guard. It's an interesting question. Tim Murray, who is the big Notre Dame football fan that hosts the sports wagering show on VEASAN, the primetime show, and literally as I was coming back on the air, he sent me a direct message and wanted me to ask this. Question for your radio show. If Matt Rule was fired on October 10th, 2001 instead of October 10th, 2022, who is Notre Dame's head coach? I don't think that changes anything here personally. I'm not quite sure Matt Rule would have moved the needle that much here had he been fired Last October and now knowing Brian Kelly was leaving? I don't think that fits. Based on the way that Mr. Swarbrick went about this coaching search, I mean, it was basically Marcus Freeman. I I don't think Matt Rule would have been that significantly on the radar. Do you? Interesting question, though. I mean, Rule was a hot coaching candidate, had a great run at Temple and Baylor, got the Carolina job, got $82 million over six or seven years. By the way, he was fired today by Carolina. And I read today for the remainder of his contract, which I think has four years left, Matt Rule will earn $824,000 a month from Carolina. You know what? It pays to get one of these big jobs, and if you fail, eh, you're set for life. Really don't have to coach again. Maybe Matt Rule goes to Nebraska if he wants a new challenge. Great success in the college game. Definitely did not work out in Carolina going 11-27. So, Tim, you made me stop and think, that's for sure, but Based on the way this coaching search went, I don't think it would have changed anything. If you have any thoughts on that, drop me a Twitter message at 960 Sportsbeat. But I appreciate Tim throwing out that particular question because, yeah, it is something to think about. Well, for the current Fighting Irish football team led by Marcus Freeman, they turn back BYU 2820. And for Tim... And his audience, Notre Dame, covered the spread. It was between three and a half and four going into the ball game. The Irish won by eight. And the game went under that. I think total was 51 last Saturday. So what did the head coach of the Fighting Irish, Marcus Freeman, have to say immediately following that victory out in Las Vegas Saturday night?
3: And as I told the team in the locker room, so proud of uh, the fight, and, uh, you know, it, we knew BYU was going to be a tough team, and I told them at halftime, this team wasn't going to quit, um, and I challenged our guys, we got to match their intensity, and to find a way to win, to find a way to execute, really execute when it mattered the most, um, I'm a extremely part of this group, you know, I have to say something about the atmosphere here, unbelievable, um, the amount of fans that noise, you know, this truly felt um, like a home day. And it was uh, it was a, a great environment. It's credit to um, what this university, what this network, uh, what this football program, the brand of Notre Dame is about. Um, it was a unique experience, but that's, as I told the team, that's what makes Notre Dame special, is uh, the Shamrock Series games, and this one was special. So um, it was an honor to be a part of it. Um, Truly happy for our players, our seniors, and uh, it was a great win for our poker.
2: Well, the Irish figured out a way to win this ball game. It felt like throughout they should have won the game by more. That's not being negative. That's just based on the fact that Notre Dame controlled the football throughout the entire game. You look at time of possession, holy cow. I mean, this is exactly what you're looking for. Notre Dame possessed the football for 40 minutes and 55 seconds Saturday night. BYU had the football for 19 minutes and 5 seconds. It is fair to say BYU took more advantage of their time, more points per minute than the Fighting Irish did. 19 minutes of possession, they put up 20 points. The Irish needed 40 and a half minutes to put up their 28 points. Total yards... 496 Notre Dame, 276 for BYU. The game was a whole lot closer than it should have been because this kind of feels like it's becoming a trend that the defense just has a couple of breakdowns and man, did the opposition take advantage. Almost, I think it's fair to say, and you might argue, but my point of view Those BYU touchdowns, late in the third and early in the fourth, shouldn't have happened. A massive breakdown in coverage on the 53-yard touchdown pass. And then the third and 18 deep in BYU territory, they threw up the white flag, ran the ball, and got a first down because everybody was just grabbing rather than tackling, which led to a 28-yard touchdown run by Brooks. All of a sudden, it was a five-point game. There's just those moments the defense – You're cheering like, man, this group can be so dominant. And it's like, what in the world? What happened to that defense we were just watching a moment ago? Strange game. Felt like they won by more than that. And there was a moment where it could have went the other way. But the Irish defense, that fourth and one stand in Notre Dame territory, up by five, really saved the day. And thank goodness Notre Dame chasing points before the fourth quarter did not Come back to haunt them should should have been up by nine rather than eight in the fourth quarter, which would have taken a whole lot more drama out of this football game. But just like the Brian Kelly group, there's just a tendency to chase points in the first three quarters of the game, which just I've said it for years. I don't get it. It cost Notre Dame the hurricane game down in Clemson game should have been an in overtime instead. They went for two twice and failed twice and lost by two points kick the extra point when you have a chance. Worry about chasing points later. I don't get everybody following this magical book that never seems to work. Kick the extra point, you're up nine. There's no drama. We've got our feet kicked up in our recliners at home, just watching, just waiting to see if Notre Dame's going to win by nine or one or six, whatever the case may be, but there was a lot more drama than there needed to be because we had to chase points before the fourth quarter it worked out 28 20 the final score but here's the good news drew pine continues to play outstanding football at the quarterback position and it makes you wonder what people were looking at in fall camp that is second guessing that's not first guessing But right now, it's just like, holy cow, this doesn't look like the same guy that stumbled through the blue-goal game, which was a tough spot for Drew Pine because he never had his true offensive line in front of him. It was always a mix and match, which makes things a whole lot more difficult on a quarterback. But he was not accurate in that game. Looks like a totally different player right now. Against BYU, Drew Pine, 22 of 28. 262 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. If the season ended today, which of course it doesn't, and this is still a pretty small sample size for a season, but Drew Pine, his current passer rating of 167.32 and completion percentage 72.5 would both be single season Notre Dame records. Yep. Better than even Brady Quinn two decades ago. Now, Brady was a full season. This is three ball games and some mop up work against Marshall. But it catches your attention at this time. The Irish, with those 496 yards of total offense led by Pine, 6.8 yards per play in the ball game. 73 plays for notre dame byu had 46. head coach marcus freeman on his quarterback drew pine who has been ready for every challenge so far as the team's starting quarterback he's
3: an ultimate competitor that's the one thing that makes him special it's um he competes he prepares the right way and and, you know i I look at i think about that first half of the cal game maybe maybe a little bit more than the first quarter and, and It wasn't a lack of confidence, but it was a lack of execution, and that really messes with your confidence, right? And and Drew Pine is is always ready to go, you know, and now what you're seeing is the execution starting to be there, so the confidence is continuing to rise. And so I just keep challenging him and continue to be the standard in terms of how we prepare, you know, because he is, and uh, he'll continue to get better and better.
2: Boy, that disastrous first quarter and a half for Drew Pine against California almost seems like A lifetime ago now, considering how he's looked since. I remember sitting in the press box in the Cal game and tweeting out, Steve Angeli's warming up on the sideline. Now, I'm not sure how serious Notre Dame was and possibly going to Angeli. I'm guessing it probably was not likely. But just think back for a couple of moments, the way Pine just looked out of sorts. The first pass of the game, there was a receiver four yards near him, and he threw it at his feet, fumbling the football, mishandling the football. It kind of looked like an eighth grader playing varsity. And then, coincidence or not, the choice words from offensive coordinator Tommy Reese over the phone to his quarterback and Marcus Freeman, also being stern with Drew Pine. I don't know, coincidence or not, but he definitely settled in and just started taking care of business, and he continues to expand his passing ability with each following game. Now, half of his targets went to Michael Mayer in this game, and why not? For some reason, BYU decided apparently was not that important to keep track of number 87, who torched them for 11 catches in the ballgame for 118 yards And two touchdowns. Meyer, or Michael Mayer, excuse me. I sound like Jason Garrett now. Michael Mayer in the ballgame targeted 15 times out of the 28 pass attempts by Pine. And again, 15 of those targets, 11 receptions for Mayer. So Marcus Freeman was asked today, is there anything about Drew Pine that is surprising him right now?
3: You know, I think it's it's he's starting to make some plays where he's improvising a little bit. You know, I know the one, he's falling down, he throws the ball to Odric, and we're kind of like, oh, okay. You know, that's one that we thought he's probably going to take a sack. Um, but that comes with confidence. And, you know, I think when you start making the right decisions, you take care of the football, now you're seeing them start to make plays. And, and you know, what you're also seeing is some receivers in a tight end make them look really good. You know, and and he'll get credit for that, but that that catch that Jaden Thomas made for a touchdown was a heck of a catch, and uh, I've always said it, man. Quarterbacks will will get praise and and take blame for for maybe certain areas that they don't have to, but, um, you know, it's good to see some guys making him look good and, and him making some plays.
2: I don't think Marcus meant that the way it sounded, that the players were making Pine look good. I mean, the receivers made some really good plays, Uh, The Thomas catch, the one-handed catch near the goal line, was fantastic. So, sure, the receiver made the play on kind of a 50-50 ball. But, yeah, I think kind of scrub what Marcus said there at the end. Kind of made it sound like that the receivers made pine. That definitely, of course, was not the case, as Drew made some really good decisions throughout the football game. The interception definitely was not his fault. Deflected at the line of scrimmage. Unfortunately, ended up in the arms of a BYU player did not put the ball in harm's way very much in this football game, and BYU deciding to leave 87 open, it seemed like six or seven times, hey, that's going to make things a whole lot easier on this fighting Irish offense. I will say this, personally speaking, his accuracy and not putting the ball in some tough spots in harm's way were my biggest concerns, When Pine took over as starting quarterback, and right now, he has thrown a very accurate football, and he has not put the ball in harm's way. Again, that wasn't his fault on the pick. That's just circumstance. So, Drew Pine has surprised me by the way he has executed on those two things that I had concerns about based on his past history. We're moving in a good direction with this offense. The offensive line continues get better and better and that's one thing I thought was reality from the North Carolina game that this offensive line continues to gel continues to get to the second level opening up some really good avenues for a talented running back room and that running game did not disappoint again I predicted 198 rushing yards against BYU for the Irish how about 45 carries 234 yards at 5.2 yards per carry. Their lost yardage in the game only 4 yards. That means BYU was not getting into the backfield. They were not breaking through that Irish offensive line. That is an extremely promising development and this has been getting better and better each week. And if you can run the football like this I think there are some good possibilities ahead. USC has had their issues stopping the run. So if you're thinking ahead, how do you compete with USC? who's was undefeated, top 10 team. Stanford ran all over USC in week two now. Hey, can USC get a whole lot better from week two until they play the Irish at the end of the year? Of course. But this is a really good development, and the identity of the offense continues to grow as the offensive line grows. Really good news. Good opportunities in the run game and the passing game against BYU. And in my advantage game on Friday, I had Notre Dame with the advantage in both of those scenarios, and that played out. And speaking of the offensive line, interesting question was asked today. Has the offensive line been helped by Drew Pine being the quarterback who has more experience in this offense? He can help set The offensive lineup with changes, some checks, probably can communicate things a little better with his experience in this offense. Is Pine being the quarterback helping this Irish offensive liners, Marcus Freeman?
3: Yeah, um, it coincides. You know, I don't know if Drew Pine's not the quarterback. Our offensive line is just getting better, one, you know, and, and that's over the course of five games. And that. You, you you see a group that's just getting better and better and better and five guys are just gelling and, and really communicating and executing at a high level you know drew's doing a great job of of getting us into the right protections but that's an area we we got to continue to grow at you know that's the number one thing we had as an emphasis this game is make sure we are in the, the correct protection to protect yourself you know protect the offense but protect yourself and so um it's an area we'll continue to get better at but they're, they're all continuing to have some cohesiveness and, and be on one accord, and, and it's showing with the, the execution.
2: Well, back-to-back 200 rushing yard performances for the Fighting Irish, and they've got an outside chance to do that again this Saturday when the 1-4 Stanford Cardinal come to Notre Dame Stadium. More on the Cardinal coming up in a little bit. Tyler Horka from Blue and Gold Illustrated will join me next on WSBT.
1: Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Touchdown, Chris Tyree!
0: Yes, ninety-eight yards.
1: On Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
0: Wide open, touchdown, Notre Dame. Lorenzo
1: Styles. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett.
2: My co-host for Game Day Sports Beat, powered by Michelob Ultra, on Saturdays, including this Saturday. Live from Notre Dame Stadium from 4 until 6.30 is Tyler Horka, the Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. He also joins me every Monday at this time to recap the most recent Notre Dame football contest, which was a 28-20 win over BYU in Las Vegas on Saturday night. So, Tyler, a lot of good things to talk about from this game and then kind of those head-scratching moments for the defense once again. Just offer your perspective on how much your opinion of Drew Pine has changed from when he was stumbling along in the first few drives against California in his first start of his career with the Irish to a quarterback that right now is on pace to set the Notre Dame single-season record for completion percentage and passing rating? I'll preface
4: this with, and I think the listeners out there know, I've always been pretty high on Drew Pine for just what he is. I think he's a guy that can come into a situation like this and provide a lot of moxie. I know a lot of people who are watching from afar, and even people who cover the program every day like we do, are saying, man, this guy just has something that is clicking with Notre Dame, and it's leading Notre Dame to victories. We've all seen that, but even when he went out there against Cal and threw the ball in the dirt to Lorenzo Styles, threw a ball in the dirt to Michael Mayer, and missed Michael Mayer on a really skinny post over the middle of the field that every quarterback in college football should hit, at that moment in time, I was even thinking to myself, well, as much much moxie as he has and stuff, if he can't make these throws, he's not going to work out at Notre Dame, and I know it was a very small sample size. It was one quarter worth of football. He lost a fumble in that quarter as well, but it wasn't going well. And, I mean, people were clamoring for true freshman Steve Angeli. It, it got to that point. It was on the message board at com. I probably even thought it. I was like, man, they're going to lose this thing if they don't. If, if he doesn't play better, if they don't make a change. Well, guess what? He made. He started playing better, and it changed the Notre Dame offense. And here we are. Three games later, and we're we're saying a lot of really great things about Drew Pine. He's three and zero as a starter, eight touchdowns, one interception. You mentioned the completion percentage, which is over seventy percent. He's doing a lot of really fantastic things. So, did I think it was going to be he was going to be able to do this? Probably not. But I've always thought that he had a little bit of this in him. So I don't think my opinion on him has changed. But I can tell you for a fact that we've got thousands of subscribers at blue and Gold.com, and their opinions have changed because I think a majority of them thought that, Hey, this is a guy that lost the starting quarterback battle to Tyler Buckner, which was asked in Marcus Freeman's press conference today. He has drew pine has played so well that the whole hindsight thing has come up where a reporter felt the need to ask, Hey, did you guys make the wrong decision in naming Tyler Buckner, the starter over drew pine? That's an entirely different conversation. And if you want to have it, we can, but To wrap all of that up, Drew Pine is playing that well to where people are saying, hey, this guy should have been the dude from day one.
2: Well, I will say this, Tyler. When we had initial discussions during fall camp, when I would ask you, hey, is there a quarterback competition right now, or is that all just for show and Tyler Buckner is going to be the starting quarterback, I remember you saying twice early on in fall camp that – hey, this might be a closer competition than everybody thinks. I know you were really impressed with the way Pine was looking early on in fall camp. So I guess based on what you saw and your opinions, you're probably not overly surprised that Pine has looked this way because I got the impressions from your thoughts that you felt like it was a pretty close competition at that time. But I think at the end of the day, they had a vision of, of what they wanted the offense to look like. And Tyler Buckner offered that, even though I think we all wondered how good of a passer Tyler Buckner is. And unfortunately, due to his injury, I still don't think we know that answer to that question.
4: No, we don't know that answer. And that's why it's unfair to say, to use what Drew Pine has done in the last three games and say that he should have been the guy from day one. We did see Tyler Buckner for two games, but I don't know. I, something was off about that Notre Dame offense, that offense, the offensive line was playing terrible. They couldn't run the ball. So that obviously hurts the quarterback. I think they were just in a little bit of a rut early with Tyler Buckner. And I think it's a little unfair to pin all of that on him. He did miss some deep balls down the field, but you know, he had that pass to Braden Lindsay. I, I can't really get that one out of my mind against get to Ohio state. I'm, I'm sitting here saying, if you can make that throw over and over and do the things that you can do with your legs, then, that's exactly – you mentioned a vision. That's exactly what Notre Dame envisioned when they named Tyler Buckner the starter, but then he goes out there against Marshall and, and it just wasn't there. So are we – if he never injures his shoulder, are we sitting here today on October 10th talking about Tyler Buckner as a starting quarterback for Notre Dame? We could be. Is Notre Dame 3-2? and two? I'm not sure. That's all hypothetical, and that's probably why it's a little unfair to ask the question of Marcus Freeman that got asked today because – he can't say, "Yeah, we made a mistake," because we, like, like you said, Dan, we still don't know what Tyler Buckner is as a quarterback, and you know, unfortunately for him, losing a whole season like this, it, it could put him in a position where we never find that out at a place like Notre Dame. I'm not saying Drew Pine is going to be the starter next year, but there is so much that can happen between October 10th, 2022, and the beginning of September in 2023, whether that's a transfer or. A recruit comes in for the class of 2023. Maybe Drew Pine. <laughs> we're sitting here saying maybe he is the answer. I'm not sure. A lot of things can happen, but you know, it's just it's it, it's a terrible thing that happened to Tyler Buckner. But Drew Pine has stepped up and done everything that Notre Dame has asked him to do. And the Fighting Irish are three and two with the chance to to be. You know, maybe even six and two by the time Clemson comes to town about a month from now.
2: Yeah, I think they will be six and two. Tyler Horka is my guest, the beat reporter for Notre Dame football at Blue and Gold Illustrated. Check out his work at blueandgold.com. dot com. Every football game I watch, no matter the level of play, I see this. So this is not necessarily a criticism of Tommy Reese, but how many times do you turn on a football game? It is fourth and one, third and one, and a team is in the shotgun. And we also see situations where you never have the quarterback under center in those spots, which seems like the likely thing to do because it brings the sneak into play. It brings that running back going downhill, getting the football. He's got some momentum, started going into that pile of players. And Notre Dame, fourth and one, deep in BYU territory, goes to the shotgun. There was a moment they had third and two from the three, and they take out Audric Estime. I thought they had two chances to get three yards to get a touchdown. They put in lighter running backs. So I'm just going to narrow it down to this. There are times the red zone decisions I'm not a big fan of. The Michael Mayer screenplay is good from 15 yards out. There's just not enough space. The defenders are too close to the line of scrimmage, Tyler, to call something right. like that. So I'm, red zone has been a problem for a couple of years. I know it's getting a little better this year, but I was really frustrated watching that game because I thought they missed some opportunities. Let me just narrow it down to this. Audric Estimate, why is he not your choice inside the five-yard line?
4: absolutely and i tweeted it in real time and you might have as well i know we texted about it actually it, um uh, why aren't you using audric Estime on third and two I, i'm pretty sure i have to go back and look at the drive chart and the plays but i think he had a really nice run and yes you're not going to tell me audric Estime. you know to get yeah to get notre dame down there you're not going to tell me he was gassed after that run we just saw this guy run about 10 times in the fourth quarter alone against north carolina and you know, save for the first fumble of his football playing career, he would have scored a touchdown on that drive too. And I, he's not going to fumble the ball down there. though So there's there's a lot of reasons that I was saying, run object Estime, and then and then like you're saying on fourth and one, don't run object Estime out of the shotgun. I, I I totally agree. We watch a lot of football, and there's a lot of times where running back gets a handoff out of the shotgun, and you could already tell that it's going nowhere. The yeah. defensive line is collapsing. There's, there's there's no push. Whatever it is, you could tell when he gets the ball back there that, you know, he's going to get stuffed. And have we seen running backs get stuffed while a quarter, quarterback is under center? Absolutely. But I think you take your chances there. And like you said, you give a 230-pound running back a head of steam instead of, hey, here's the ball. Uh, you've got to run three or four yards, five yards before you even get to the line of scrimmage. And then you got to go get that extra yard, the yard that we need. So uh, I'm, not, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. I didn't like the call. And then to your point about the, the tunnel screen, because that's what it was. It was a tunnel screen. Yeah. What, what is the point of a tunnel, right? It's, it's to get from one uh, point to another, usually a pretty long distance and to pop out on the other side. When you're inside, I don't know where Notre Dame was. Were they on the two-yard line? Yeah, it was
2: inside the two. I mean,
4: that is not a very long distance to get to. So what, what kind of tunnel are you trying to create there? I don't think a tunnel was necessary. So I was very – I'll use the word flabbergasted by the tunnel screen. I, I love tunnel screens. Use them at the 50-yard line, though, to pick up 20 yards and, and get a drive going. Don't use them in goal situation. I know the thought process is – this guy is unstoppable, get the ball in his hands. Okay, yeah, he did his job. He caught the ball. But after that, I mean, if there are three defensive backs, maybe even a linebacker was in on that, they're going to come crashing down, and they did. Even Michael Mayer is not going to you know, carry four guys into the end zone. So it was very perplexing. I was flabbergasted. I mean, Notre Dame is talking about a big-time win by multiple scores if they don't have to kick a field goal of 20 yards, a field goal of 26 yards. They, they turn the ball over on downs inside the 10-yard line as well. It was – you score two touchdowns there, you know, or maybe even one, and you're not sweating out the game, you need a fourth and one stop there late in the, you know, with four minutes left. So red zone offense, absolutely an issue with Notre Dame right now for sure
2: and another factor they were chasing points in the third quarter they should have been up nine in the fourth quarter where you're not sweating instead they went for two missed and you're only up eight and the game was still alive at that particular time I hope someone burns that two point conversion book because it it causes more headaches than I think benefits a lot of football teams but here's the good news Tyler amongst all that red zone talk man the offensive line continues to get better and better we both felt like that was going to be reality from the Carolina game that wasn't a Mirage and that group took another huge step forward, which is so promising considering some of the opponents they have coming up.
4: Yeah, absolutely. You know who had his best game of the year by Pro Football focuses measures and just by my eye test as well was Blake Fisher, the the sophomore right tackle, and that that's huge for Notre Dame because they went through four games and they were saying, "Oh no, why why is this guy not playing?" Well, I've written multiple times at BlueAndGold.com. I was like, "Well." He started half a dozen games in his college football career. Let's cut this guy some slack. I think you saw a little bit of a comfortability factor with him, which is huge. Garrett Patterson has settled in at left guard. I think the more that we don't talk about Josh Lugg, the better, because I don't know if he's one of the flashier offensive linemen that's going to make you know those sexy blocks that you see like a guy mm-hmm. like Joe Alt make or, or maybe even Blake Fisher. He, that's not Josh Lugg's game. So the less we're talking about him, the better, because that means he's doing his job. And you know who else fits into that category is Zeke Corral. We're not talking about Zeke Correll a whole lot because he's doing his job. He's not making those plays where you're shaking your head or scratching your head saying, how did he let this guy go? Or why didn't he pick that up? And how do you let this guy go right through the A-gap or or whatever it is? So, absolutely, that's a line that's playing better. Marcus Freeman said it today. He said it after the game. That group continues to progress, and that's so important for Notre Dame because it all starts up front. It starts up front for any football team, but – The way this team is constructed with the wide receiver issues that still sort of remain and the way that Notre Dame wants to run the ball, you have to have a strong offensive line, and the offensive line is definitely improving as the season goes on.
2: So help me and help Irish fans try to figure out how good the Irish defense is, because Tyler, there are points of games where you're like, this unit can be dominant. And they shut the door. Now, they didn't have many chances to play defense because the offense had the balls so much. But when you think about BYU only having the football for 19 minutes, they scored 20 points on, what, 43 plays? So they were very efficient when they had the football, if you break down the numbers. But then there are breakdowns, the long touchdown pass, safety blitz. We've heard that before, breakdown. There was the third down in 18, throw up the white flag, running play by BYU, deep in their own territory. They get the first down, and then a bad run fit. They get a 28-yard touchdown run later in the drive. So as you talked about, this game could have been a 20, 25-point win. It's not all on the defense. There were moments where the defense, again, as we talked about on Saturday, they have those let down moment. So how do you assess how well the group played on Saturday? I would
4: say that it's really impressive outside of Cody Epps going for, I think it was like five catches and a hundred yards. BYU was another one of those teams that had a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. Like Puka Nakua. Puka Nakua is a guy that was healthy. He was playing so many weapons that could beat you. And then at the end of a 60 minute football game, you're sitting there thinking, well, we really only got beat by that guy and he didn't beat us because we got more points on the scoreboard than them at the end of the game, so it's, so it's all good. I think Notre Dame has found a really good way of somehow doing that. Josh Downs catches a couple touchdowns at, in the North Carolina game, but then you look up and he only has 36 mm-hmm. yards, and you say, okay, they, they did their job on that guy. He put up a couple touchdowns. Yeah, North Carolina was going to do that anyway. So the head-scratching moments, they have to cease. You, you cannot let a team gain – 20 yards on third and 18 from their own five when they're really just trying to give some, some room for the punter. That's all they were trying to do. They were in a simple little outside stretch there to, to the right side, and somehow 20 yards later they're, they're moving the change, and they eventually score a touchdown on that drive. That cannot happen. Those are the types of plays and drives that I guarantee you Marcus Freeman is up at night thinking about those. Al Golden should be up at night thinking about those. So the way I would contextualize this Notre Dame defense is they're pretty stout. They're pretty strong. They make a lot of really good plays. They get off the field a lot, but they just have to put it all together. And putting it all together is getting more than the gifted interception that Tariq Bracy was given on the very first play of the game. You know, that's, that's a gift. I think Clarence Lewis has to make that interception that, that would have also been a gift. That's six points because he's in the end zone. He could have ran all the way back to South Bend from Las Vegas <laughs> and caught that ball. So you have to capitalize on the takeaways. I guess it's only two, right? Because they only had the interception in that game, and I know there was a fourth down stop, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that was the only true turnover that they they generated. And
2: the safety, too. We'll throw that in there.
4: The the safety. Yeah, exactly. So so there are plays that that they're making. They just have to kind of put it all together, and no team is going to make every single play over the course of a 60-minute game. But like you said, BYU only had the ball for 20 minutes, so – for them to be able to score on a 95 yard drive or whatever it was, you have to eliminate that because we've seen that time and time again. Ohio State did it, Marshall did it, Cal was threatening to do it if, if that guy can catch the ball on his back at the end of the game there. So there's just some things that they have to clean up. But overall, I mean, they're playing pretty sound. And if I were a Notre Dame fan, I like the way that the defense is playing mm-hmm. because you're sitting there thinking, you know, we're not getting terribly beat by any one guy in any of these games.
2: Very good point. Hey, one final question for you. With the way Jack Kaiser has played, being a middle linebacker, of course, he's been a rover. I'm not sure his coverage skills makes him perfect for that spot, but he's got great athleticism. He's more powerful than you think. You know, he's been really good playing inside. So there's only so many guys that can play inside. You've got Kaiser, Bertrand, and Leofau, Are we getting to the point where one of those guys, and it's not going to be Kaiser, is going to be coming off the field a little more than he has so far this year? Is Kaiser kind of pushing the needle a little bit?
4: I think so, and the guy that's been coming off a little bit more has been Bo Bauer, and that's a guy that I've been pretty high on, but Bo Bauer's snaps have considerably gone down, and like you said, there's there's really only one guy that's out there playing the middle linebacker position at any given time, and we've seen Kaiser rotate in there at that spot a lot. I was rewatching the game and I really, I think the reason why Notre Dame, you know, his natural position is Rover because he's probably even better than Maris Leofield in this aspect, better at crashing down on the line of scrimmage Mm -hmm. and playing downhill. I think he's Notre Dame's best downhill linebacker. And like you said, a lot of that is because of the athleticism. He was able to do that really well lined up from the middle of the field. I think one of those tackles for loss that he made was basically he just rushed the a gap, the center and the left guard said, man, I don't have anything for this guy. And he made a tackle on the running back right at the line of scrimmage. So he's probably been Notre Dame's best linebacker. I really liked what he was doing in a nickel set with Prince Colley as well. Mm-hmm. Prince Colley made a tackle on a tight end who caught a pass, and we saw Prince Colley make a sack. So, yeah, I mean, there's only so many reps to give out to linebackers, especially when Notre Dame is playing as much nickel as it is. Tariq Bracy sounds like he might even play against Stanford. I think that's Notre Dame's best defensive look when they have five defensive backs on the field, including Gracie. And then you've only got two linebacker spots, and right now you have to give one of those to Kaiser. So who else is going to play with them? It's been a lot of Maris Liofowl, obviously. I think Prince Colley is working into that conversation. And and the odd man out has kind of been Bo Bauer, as good as he is, because I think he's a really good playmaker. But, I mean, there's only so many reps that you can give to those guys. and, And Prince Colley has been on the you know short stick side of that as well he's only played 18 snaps all year because of that so yeah when when you say moving the needle it's definitely jack Kaiser right now
2: and bertrand's kind of opened the door by those two targeting calls giving people opportunities exactly. to get on the field a little bit more all right what's happening this week at blue and gold illustrated blue and gold.com
4: well i mentioned prince collie and i'm working on a story where i try to analyze I, I try to pick one thing from from every game and kind of go in deep on it and Prince Golly only played eight snaps. Well, I'm going back and and looking at all of those eight snaps from an analytical perspective, and that'll be up on the site in the morning. Obviously, we have coverage from Marcus Freeman's press conference today, and then once Tuesday hits, we we really try to dive in deep on the opponent, so we'll have a lot of Stanford stuff up tomorrow, and it's kind of crazy that after this weekend we'll be at the halfway point of the season, but it seems to always fly by, and blueandgold.com is the, the place to spend the Notre Dame football season. There's nobody covering... Notre Dame athletics, and especially Notre Dame football like we do.
2: Tyler, good to be with you as always. I appreciate your analysis, and we will talk to you at Notre Dame Stadium on Saturday when game day sports speed is on the air from 4 to 6.30.
4: Yep, see you there. It's supposed to be a little chillier than it is today, so I'm going to try to soak that in the rest of the afternoon.
2: (laughs) Sounds good. We'll talk to you then.
4: All right, see you, there.
2: Thank you so much. Tyler Horka, the Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. His thoughts on this Irish win over BYU. 5.56 at WSBT.
1: One question, five answers. This is the My Five Questions of the Day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
2: We begin the 6 o'clock hour with our My 5, and that is handing out five game balls from Notre Dame's 28-20 win over BYU Saturday night in Las Vegas. Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. We'll start on the offensive side of the football. Game ball number five goes to sophomore wide receiver Jaden Thomas. Many people are calling this a breakout performance. For me, a breakout performance leads to consistent play. So I'm not going to say breakout performance. I'm going to say this is a really good start to showing the coaching staff what he's capable of. And I think it also offers Drew Pine a boost of confidence that he does have another option that he can go to in the passing game. Let's hope this is the start of something really good for Jaden Thomas who had three catches for 74 yards, a long of 32, and a highlight reel, one-handed touchdown catch against that BYU football team. Game ball number four goes to tight end Michael Mayer. Only had a number four because I'm going to be a little bit nitpicky on one heck of a football player. Run blocking needs to get better. There was a time on the outside Tyree could have had the first down, could have turned the corner. And there just wasn't enough engagement with the defender on the outside by Michael. Otherwise, man, oh man, catching the football second to none. 11 catches, 118 yards, two touchdowns. He was targeted over half the time by Drew Pine. 15 targets on 28 Drew Pine throws.
1: Okay, okay. Uh, Number
2: three. Coming in at number three based on really one outstanding play defensive tackle Jason Adeviola Irish up five BYU driving in the fourth quarter trying to take the lead fourth and one from the Notre Dame 27 Jason took the situation into his own hands and made an outstanding play stuffing a run play forcing a turnover on downs giving the ball back to the Irish they went down and Settled for a short field goal, unfortunately, rather than the knockout punch with the touchdown. But the 20-yard field goal by Groupie was all set up by Arabiola, making that terrific fourth down and one play. And I think ending the night on a really positive note for the Fighting Irish defense after, in the previous 30 minutes, giving up a couple of very frustrating touchdowns. Number two. Got to have Drew Pine's name on this list. The Irish quarterback gets game ball number two. The numbers are sparkling once again. 22 of 28 for 262 yards. Three touchdowns and an interception that really isn't on him. A deflected football at the line of scrimmage that found the hands of a BYU defender. Hey, there's no question compared to when Tyler Buckner was running the offense and maybe some of it had to do with teams – Trying to take away the run with Buckner and force him to pass, but the offensive line, the running game, has been very, very good since Drew Pine took over, in particular, the last two weeks, going for 287 against North Carolina, and then 252 yards against BYU on Saturday. But Pine has the passing game looking pretty doggone good at this particular time
1: number one
2: and i said 252 i was looking at the wrong sheet that was the passing receiving yards for the football team they had 234 rushing yards which leads to the ultimate game ball going to everyone involved in the irish run game quarterback making the right checks offensive line running backs tight ends blocking receivers blocking The Irish run game was a difference maker and a big reason why. They had the football for 40 minutes and 55 seconds. 45 carries for the Fighting Irish for 234 yards, 5.2 yards per carry. They lost just four yards all night. They did not have a rushing touchdown, mainly because of Audrick Estime being taken out inside the five. But you know what? Let's don't cry over spilled milk offense did a great job of controlling the football game. And even though I think they should have won by more, we'll take the eight-point win because they've won three in a row and they're a three-and-two football team. Style points really don't matter to this football team right now. They're not a playoff contender. It's not going to make a difference in being a New Year's Six Bowl game representative, I don't think, if they run the table. If they run the table and beat Clemson and USC, they're going to be in a New Year's Six Bowl game as long as they take care of all their business. So the five game balls go to Jaden Thomas, Michael Mayer, Jason Anabiola, Drew Pine, and the Irish run game. And how about Drew Pine being called a Rudy figure on the NBC broadcast? A Rudy figure. I'm speechless to that broadcast. 6.13 is the time. We'll talk some Irish defense when we come back as Sportsbeat continues On this Victory Monday, as the Irish beat BYU Saturday night in Vegas, we're live on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
1: A Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
2: Sports Beat on WSBT radio brought to you by our title sponsor, Budweiser, the King of Beers. Locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend, football fans, this Bud's for you. South Bend Orthopedics, team physicians for the University of Notre Dame since 1949. Pet Refuges, ABC Clinic, South Burnett Drive in South Bend, helping fight pet overpopulation. Tim Growl State Farm Insurance for surprisingly great rates that fit anyone's budget. Call Tim at 574-232-9981. Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. The Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, serving our community while serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana, Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org, Legacy Heating and air, a Cook Family Business, and by Four Winds Casinos. Your entertainment escape must be 21 years old. Please play responsibly. As the Irish look ahead to their next opponent, the Stanford Cardinal at Notre Dame Stadium this Saturday, 7.30 kickoff on WSBT Radio. A couple of notes for you, including this, that Stanford has not beaten an FBS opponent since October 2nd of 2021 when they stunned Oregon on the farm. Since that win on October 2nd, 2021, Stanford's only win was against FCS Colgate in week 1 of this year 41 to 10. They have not beaten an FBS opponent in now over a year. Considering where David Shaw had this program a few years ago, that's really hard to believe. And really Stanford should have ended that streak. On Saturday on the farm against Pac-12 foe, Oregon State. Oregon State playing with their backup quarterback. They trailed Stanford in the fourth quarter in the closing seconds. But with 13 seconds left, Oregon State completed a 56-yard pass that ended up being a touchdown. There were two defenders around the Oregon State receiver. But that Beaver receiver, well, that kind of rhymes, the Beaver receiver, Got away from both and found the end zone for a game winning touchdown. And Stanford stunned at home by Oregon State, 28 to 27. So Stanford comes to South Bend, a really banged up football team from, I think, a mental standpoint. They just cannot get over the hump as they have not beaten an FBS school in a year. And they are a one in four football team this year with a four game losing streak. And they'll celebrate in South Bend as a 17 point underdog against this Notre Dame football team that has won three consecutive games and now have a record of three and two and feel like they've got some really good momentum working at this particular time. Well, the BYU offense only ran 46 plays on Saturday. As I mentioned a moment ago, they had the football. For just 19 minutes and 5 seconds, the Irish did a great job of playing keep away from BYU. 46 plays for BYU, but they scored 20 points and had 276 yards. The Irish averaged 6.8 yards per play. With a lot fewer plays, BYU actually averaged 6 yards per play. Their quarterback, Jaron Hall, who could have been a difference maker in this game, he was not except for a couple of plays, 9 of 17, 120 yards, two touchdowns at a pick, had 53 yards on one play as he found epps, thanks to a broken coverage, wide open deep down the field for a 53-yard touchdown reception. In the ball game, Hall was sacked two times, and he was picked off on the first play of the game by Tariq Bracey. So a lot of good things to talk about with this Irish defense. But you look at a couple of factors in the game that still you walk away concerned about. Can this football team run the table and finish the year 10-2 and with the quality of run defense that they're putting on the field right now? I spent last week offering you some insight on this BYU offense that against the two most difficult opponents on their schedule, Now, keep in mind, they're both top 20 run defenses. I think Baylor was 16th, Oregon 20th. Both games, BYU averaged just 2.5 yards per carry. Utah State last week was the number 108 run defense in the country. They were giving up 4.7 yards per carry. BYU had just 3.7, and they were 60 yards under Utah State's run defense yardage average. Those are some pretty anemic numbers. So they faced the Fighting Irish, whose run defense was in the 60s going into that ball game against the Cougars. And BYU was able to run it 29 times for 156 yards, 5.4 yards per carry. They ran it better against Notre Dame than the number 108 run defense in the country, Utah State. And sometimes it's not just the numbers that pile up, it's the moments. The 3rd and 18 from the BYU 5, white flag, we're just going to run the football and punt, they get 20. And then a bad run fit leads to a 28-yard touchdown run by Chris Brooks. That comes after the broken coverage in the secondary, allowing Cody Epps to have the 53-yard touchdown. Frustrating because up until that point, Coupled with the way the Irish offense was controlling the football, it didn't feel like BYU's offense was going to be able to produce a whole lot in this football game. The breakdown on the secondary happens. The grabbing rather than tackling on the third and 18 run play happens. The 28-yard touchdown run happens. And all of a sudden, BYU, which was out of this game, down 19, they were only down five, and they were alive and well until that fourth down and one stop. By the Irish defensive line at the Notre Dame twenty-seven to really help turn the tide and get the Irish back into the win column. Marcus Freeman today was asked about those second-half touchdowns allowed against Brigham Young University.
3: The, the touchdown, the first touchdown, is just a, a a lack of execution. You know, it's not the play call; it's just an execution error, and and so you're not pointing as head coach, I'm not pointing a finger at the player. You're looking at the coaches and saying, we didn't coach it well enough, you know, and that's on us and that we've called this call multiple – we've called this defense multiple times and and we didn't execute it. And uh, what happens when you don't execute versus a good team goes for a 40, 50-yard touchdown, and and that's what happened. And so um, it is a very (laughs) – fine line between executing and and giving up a a big play for a touchdown the next series he score you know you got a team third and 18 and you don't convert you don't stop them it's a heartbreaker you know and and we have to be better you know we can't I mean third and 18 and you're on defense and that's something you have the utmost confidence in you're in a really good position and so that's where we got to be better. And then what happens over the course of that drive, they drive it and, and it ends up being the fourth quarter and we misfit the touchdown for another big play run. And so it all goes back to execution. If you execute on third and 18, we're not worried about the touchdown in the fourth quarter. You know, if we execute on that play call um, for the long pass, you know, and so we're not talking about two touchdowns, you know, and, and, and again – For me, I challenge the coaches. It's not that kid's fault. we got to coach it better. And then in turn, that kid's going to say, you know what? He did coach me. He did teach me. i got to execute better. And so it really trickles downhill.
2: Man, it's not the kid's fault. I want Marcus Freeman to be my boss because if I had a bad show today, I guess I can just blame it on one of my bosses, Jim. Because he didn't prepare me well enough for the show. So, Jim, this is all your fault if the show stinks tonight. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to take responsibility when there is a bad show. I'm, I'm totally kidding. Marcus is a players coach, and players coaches, for the most part, are not going to put players in a tough spot in the media. Some coaches, like Brian Kelly, was very successful at times in using the media to find a different way to get through to a player by mentioning them and how they need to do this or do that. I think it's pretty much established that Marcus is not ever going to do that. And if he does, it'll be a change. Because you heard him there, he's blaming the coaches for not preparing that player who screwed up, which is an interesting way of going about it. I've never heard that before, a coach say that. So he's got a different mindset. Now, I probably have a feeling The conversation is different away from the media, but I think it's fair to say Marcus is not going to use the media the way BK did And sometimes trying to find a different way to get through to a young man. Sometimes you have to go a different route, and BK oftentimes would use the media to make that happen. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So amidst all that frustration, game's on the line. Hey, Notre Dame could have... Blown that lead. BYU could have taken the lead in the fourth quarter. They're driving down by five. They get to the Irish 27. It's a fourth and one. They elect to go for it and the Irish defense shuts the door led by Jason Adebiola. Here's Marcus Freeman on that sequence and the importance of that fourth down stop.
3: It was big because we needed it. We had, I think we, I don't know the exact yards, 50-something yards at half we held them to. Um, Defensively held BYU to and then you come out in the second half and you know, they get the big play for a touchdown, um, and then they come back and they drive, and it's just you can feel a sense of a little bit of panic. I kept telling them, calm down, calm down. we got to go back and just do our jobs, relax, one play, one life. And uh, to get the stop fourth and one, um, we challenged them. We challenged them on the sidelines, and it was a timeout right before that fourth and one. And uh, that was a huge play, and I'm um, really happy for them. So again, to build off of that, to, to end on a high note and then to go back and be able to learn from those uh, those plays that, that obviously didn't go our way it's um, extremely
2: satisfying. Hey, huge moment! They put all that behind them. What happened was over, and they came up with the stop necessary. The Irish got down the field, almost scored a touchdown, settled for three. Bottom line, they got it done. They beat BYU by a final score of 28 to 20. The Irish sacked Jaron Hall a couple of times in the ball game. The rushing numbers are disappointing. I thought the Irish would be able to make BYU one-dimensional, and they kind of did in the opposite way that they ran the ball so well they didn't throw it as much. But interesting ball game. It's just the defense, I'm excited about it. It's just those little letdown hiccup moments that make you want to pull your hair out because you see how good this group can be. But as we all know, consistency is extremely Important. So, with the way the Irish kind of stumbled to the finish line, Marcus Freeman, after the Ohio State game, was talking about we got to finish, we got to finish, we got to finish, stress finishing. Then he did away with that line of thinking. It was more about prep leading to results. So, Marcus was asked, is it time to start reminding them about finishing once again?
3: No, we're talking about the entirety of the game now. You know, we don't talk about just finishing. Um, it's, you know, really kind of putting those plays. And that's hard, and that's even as a coach because. As much as I want to get mad about those two touchdowns and, and you know keep that in my mind and be frustrated, you have to move forward because reflecting on that, if you don't learn from it, it doesn't help you with the next play. So the coach has got to challenge yourself first to say, "Move on." As mad as you are about something that don't go your way, move on and uh, challenge your players to do the same thing.
2: They moved on and the defense got it done on that BYU drive, stopping them fourth down and one from the 27. 632 is our time. You're listening to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Our Twitter question of the day is next on WSBT.
1: This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
2: Welcome back to the program, 637 at WSBT. This is our Twitter question of the day. Darren Pritchett with you. Each weekday we ask you a Twitter question on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. And so let's review what we've had recently. Back on Friday's program, our normal Outright winner, wagering questions surrounding Notre Dame football. So, the question on Friday was, what outright wagering combination will play out for Notre Dame against BYU? The Irish were a three and a half, four point favorite in Vegas against BYU. Choice number one, Notre Dame wins outright and also Notre Dame covers the spread. Choice number two, Notre Dame wins, but BYU covers those three or four points. And choice number three, an outright win by Brigham Young University. Here's how you voted. Third place in the voting, Notre Dame wins, but BYU covers those three or four points. That got 7.7% of the vote. That was not the correct answer either. Second in the voting, BYU wins outright. That got 17.3% of the vote. That was not the correct answer either. A majority of the fans who voted, you were exactly right. Notre Dame wins, Notre Dame covers. That got 75% of the vote, and that was the right answer. The Irish won by 8, so not only they won outright, they covered the spread. So, job well done, everybody. Since the Marshall game, the Sportsbeat followers are 3-for-3 on this Friday Twitter question of the day. Now let's go to the question that was posted yesterday afternoon, and the voting will wrap up tomorrow afternoon. As Notre Dame football continues to progress, of these choices, what area of the team needs to take the biggest next step? Your three choices. Red zone offense, which covers play calling and personnel. Tyler Hork and I had a discussion about this in the 5 o'clock hour, about being in the shotgun on 4th and 1 in the red zone, not having Audric Estime on the field on 3rd down and 2 from the 3. The tunnel screen. A mayor at the two-yard line. So that goes into that option. Choice number two is tackling. And choice number three, the defensive lapses we talked about in the previous segment. So of those three choices, what area of the football team needs to take the next big step? Red zone offense, tackling, or defensive lapses. You can vote right now on my Twitter account, 960 Sportsbeat. The voting is pretty spread out with one of the three with a solid lead at this time. We'll pass along the results on tomorrow's program here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Sorry, my voice is getting a little hoarse at this point of the program. All right, 640 at WSBT. As I talked about a moment ago, the Stanford football team is just one and four. They've lost four in a row coming to South Bend. They've not had a lot of success against the Irish the last few years. One of the bright spots is their quarterback, Tanner McKee, who's completing 63% of his passes for 1,249 yards. So far this year has 10 touchdowns and five interceptions. He is not a factor to run the football, so you can eliminate that from something you might be worried about in this game. McKee is a pocket passer. He is not going to run. Bit of a statue in the pocket, so this is an opportunity for the pass rush to get home against Stanford on Saturday. E.J. Smith, one of their top running backs, is out for the year due to injury. He was averaging 6.9 yards per carry. He is the son of legendary Cowboys running back and Pro Football Hall of Famer Emmitt Smith. So it has been up to Casey Philkins to run the football. 82 carries for 339 yards, 4.1 yards per carry, and – three touchdowns. There is quite a bit of balance in their passing game. Five players have at least 12 receptions so far this year. And one of those is the running back Philkins who has 12 catches. Maybe the top guy to watch out for is Mitchell, I'm sorry, Michael Wilson who's averaging 20.7 yards per catch on 17 catches. Four of the 17 catches have resulted in a touchdown. All right, coming up next, we'll have our sports wagering segment as we wind down on this edition of Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Don't forget Caveman Corner at seven o'clock. And we have Monday Night Football at 7 30, the Las Vegas Raiders visiting the Kansas City Chiefs on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Money,
3: money, money. Money, 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 money. Show me
4: the money.
0: We go with We
2: go Let's talk some sports wagering on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. My name is Darren Pritchett. Well, so far, the first four months of this segment on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat have all been winning months for this segment. But I would say right now October is in jeopardy of being a losing month. as I have started October just 6 and 13, it was not helped by Friday's suggestions that went two and five. Let's recap the good and a lot of bad. The two winners, I took Notre Dame minus three and a half against BYU at minus 110. That was a winning selection because the Irish won by 8. The only other win I had on Friday was from the National Football League as I took the New York Jets, plus three at home against Miami at minus 110, and the Jets ended up blowing out Miami, so that was an easy victory. The losses, Alabama did not come close to covering the 24 against Texas A&M. No Bryce Young obviously was a major factor. Illinois minus three and a half against Iowa. They won by three. Tommy DeVito, their starting quarterback, went out in the first half. They were moving the ball with DeVito. Once he went out, it was going to be a field goal game, and that unfortunately hurt the people on the Illinois side. That hook came back to beat us. Also, I thought Florida would have a good chance to put it to Missouri in a fade moment after they almost beat Georgia. But Missouri kept it within seven. I had Florida minus 10.5. The Jaguars really laid an egg against Houston down in Jacksonville. I had the Jags minus seven, Texans beat them outright and I had the Bears under 17 and a half points. They scored 22 and that's how you have a two and five Friday. So let's see if we can start off a brand new week with some winners, everything is based on tonight's Monday night football game, the Chiefs and the Raiders THIS NUMBER IS BOUNCED AROUND TODAY BETWEEN 7 AND 7.5 and WITH THE CHIEFS BEING THE FAVORITE. SO, WE'LL USE THE NUMBER I HAD THIS MORNING WHEN I MADE THE PICK. I'M GOING WITH THE CHIEFS MINUS 7, BUT THERE'S A LOT OF DATA THAT SHOWS THAT'S THE WRONG PLAY. SINCE 2020, WHEN PATRICK MAHOMES AND THE CHIEFS ARE FAVORED BY THREE OR MORE POINTS, THE CHIEFS have only covered 38% of the time. That's extremely surprising. So, that makes you wonder if this is the right play. Plus, you go back to Sunday. The five underdogs in divisional games all won against the spread. This is another spot. Based on that number, you should go with the Raiders, and maybe that is the play. But I'm just not believing in Josh McDaniel's Football team in particular on the defensive side. I think the Chiefs will beat them between 8 and 14 points. So I'm going to go ahead and go against some of these numbers I just gave. I'm going to take the Chiefs minus 7 at minus 110. My other three suggestions for Monday Night Football Hunter Renfro returning to the lineup for the Raiders at wide receiver, a terrific possession receiver for David Carr. Renfro is 44.5 44 receiving yards for his over-under in tonight's game. You go back to last year against Kansas City. Renfro in one game, 13 catches for 117. The second game, seven catches for 46. I think the Raiders are coming from behind in this game. A lot of attention on Devontae Adams. I think Renfro catches his share in this ball game. So I'm going over 44 receiving yards for the Raiders' Hunter Renfro. Josh Jacobs has had a couple of really quiet games against the Chiefs the last few years, including a couple of games under 40 rushing yards. I think that's the case tonight. The Chiefs have been very good against the run. So the Raiders running back, I'm fading him tonight. I'm going under 61 and a half rushing yards at minus 110. My fourth and final suggestion for tonight, the over under total points in the game is at 51 and a half. It's just been a trend all year the primetime games have gone under so I'm going to go under 51 and a half points for Chiefs Raiders my underdog pick for tonight Chiefs wide receiver Marquez Valdez scantling in an any time touchdown at plus 195. so again the four main suggestions for tonight Chiefs minus seven Hunter Renfro over 44 and a half receiving yards. Josh Jacobs under 61 and a half rushing yards. Chiefs Raiders under 51 and a half points. Tonight's Budweiser's weekday sports beat has been brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Football fans, this bud's for you. By South Bend Orthopedics, team physicians for the University of Notre Dame since 1949. Pet Refuge's ABC Clinic. South Burnett Drive in South Bend helping fight pet overpopulation. Tim Grau State Farm Insurance for surprisingly great rates that fit anyone's budget. Call Tim at 574-232-9981. Midland Engineering Company beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. The Mishawaka Education Foundation granting a better future. Barnabys of Mishawaka and Granger, serving our community while serving Michigan's most favorite pizza since 1978. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana, hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. By Legacy Heating and Air, a cook family business. By Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt, don't shop for new beginnings. Have happy endings in Four Winds Casinos, your entertainment escape. Must be 21 years old. Please play responsibly. Caveman Corner is next. Then it's Westwood One's coverage of Monday Night Football, the Raiders at the Chiefs. Enjoy your Monday evening. This is Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on 96.1 FM WSBT.